0: Hey, good morning, everybody. How are you? Welcome to LifeBridge Church. Uh, whether you are a regular attender or just checking us out, thanks for being here today. My name Jim McCormick, and uh, my wife and I, Dawn, we get to serve on the conference team. And then uh, we also get to play with the toddlers and backyard tots and rock the babies in the nursery, right, every Sunday. So thanks for being here. Uh, did you know that? This time that somebody gets up here to do every week is called Welcome and Why. Raise your hand if you knew that. It's called Welcome and Why. See, this is a behind the scenes glimpse that I'm giving you. So, yeah, how about that, huh? Uh, we we don't just attend at LifeBridge. You know, that's like the what. We just show up and we're here together. That's good, but why? Why do we do that? It's about life-changing community. In fact, it's about growing together in life-changing communities. So how do you do that? Well, that's what uh, My Life Bridge is uh, all about. Check out My Life Bridge. Stay connected, stay informed uh, through that. One thing I want to really highlight about My Life Bridge is that's a place that you can find Pastor John Adams devotionals each week. Did you know that there's this part of him... I'm making an assumption, Pastor John, that would love to just stand up here and preach for like a solid hour, but Savannah won't let him do that. (laughs) So he's got at least an hour's worth of passionate content that he gathers about from God's word, but we can't be here that long, right? So that's what the devotionals are for. A little bit more insight, a little bit more uh, food from God's word, Uh, for us to be fed and to grow together in community. So check out that devotional. Also, uh, be faithful givers, cheerful and generous givers. There's three ways that you can give. You can see them right there. Corporately, you are helping us to continue to advance the life-changing community mission. Uh, And then on a personal level, this is good. This is good stuff. I need this. Uh, Fight against that sinful tendency we all share to meet our own selfish desires and look outside of ourselves for the sake of the gospel. And we do that through many means, but our money is a big one, a big one. So, speaking of life-changing community, let's talk about the Life-Changing Community Conference Please intentionally plan for our conference coming up March 13th through the 20th. We'll have guest speakers on the 13th and on the 20th to kind of bookend that whole week. There is going to be child care and a meal uh, all week long. Check out the details here, and then there's even more detail at mylifebridge.com. And then uh, I want to quote... Something that really stuck with me that Pastor John Thorngate said last week. And I'm going to read it so I don't butcher it because it was good stuff. As far as this conference is concerned, don't make it the thing that you do if you have time. Make it the thing that you do. Life-changing community. Make it a priority March 13th through 20th. Everybody give it up for Pastor John Adams.
1: appreciate it. And even with that, the hype was less than what John normally does. So I certainly appreciate that, too. It was less awkward. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. All right. Thanks for joining us. Let's open with a word of prayer, shall we? Father, Lord, we just praise your name. We glorify you. Lord, we thank you for the church community that changes us, for the relationships that we have here that help form us, that contribute to us growing into the image of Christ, so, Lord, as we explore that through this campaign, I pray that you would move in our hearts to value, to prioritize life-changing community. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you notice, my voice is going to be a little raspy. Okay, last night kind of clicked with me like, "Ah, oh man, I'm getting a sore throat. So took a negative COVID test this morning, but I'm still going to keep my distance because there is a lot of stuff going around, like everywhere. It's been it's been a rough few weeks. Um, but today is also my son's birthday, Shiloh. So happy birthday, Shiloh. He's not on Facebook and hopefully won't be for a long time, so you guys don't know that. So if you're anything like me, the only way you remember people's birthdays is <laughs> Facebook. Thank you. Um, but yeah, if you see him out there, be sure to rub his head. He's the type of kid, he just rub his head. Like he's, That's just Shiloh's nature. He's a, I don't know what that means about him, but... Rub his head and say happy birthday, buddy. Um, Yeah. He's a crazy man. So, yeah. Anyways, all right. Life changing community. That's what we're talking about in this. Campaign today. Uh, oh, the whole campaign we've been talking about how community should be forming us, about how a church is something different than just a regular social club or uh, social networking events for for work, whatever. All of that stuff. Church should be different because church is centered on us being formed into the image of Christ, and together, collectively, us becoming more like Jesus. Because so much of the Christian life is either to be practiced in community or is formed within community. Things like love. Who are we to love? One another. Things like mercy. If we are to show mercy, we must be in relationship with those to whom we can show mercy. Forgiveness, justice, all of these things are dependent upon us being a part of a community. And the Christian community within the church is supposed to be a uh, small uh, portion of that and a picture of Life change within the community of Christ in each community where we find ourselves, okay? So, we're that light in Burlington is how we think of it. Today, we're talking about truth. Today, we're talking about how community, to be a life-changing community, we need to be focused on truth, community that grows in our understanding of truth and in our adherence to the truth. Truth is really an important concept. Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 20. We're just going to read a few verses in Ephesians, and then we're going to see an example of this at work within the early church. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, but that is not the way you learned Christ. So he had just gone through the previous few verses, uh, telling them that you you must no longer walk or no longer live as the Gentiles do. And he goes through a bit of what that looks like, as those who are apart from the community of God, is the way he's saying it, like uh, living in sin and not following uh, the righteous ways of God instead they 're to live as as part of this new uh, new creation, this new covenant people that God is creating called the church, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, he says it as plainly as can be said, the truth is in Jesus. Uh, Jesus said that he is the way, the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father. But through him, John's Gospel says that he came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus is where we find truth, first and foremost. The truth is in Christ, and so Jesus, what he taught, what he said, what he did in his life, that is true. That's the foundation, our source for truth. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. True righteousness, meaning righteousness that appeals to reality, righteousness that is truly righteousness, not some feigned righteousness or false concept of righteousness, because that's not really righteousness and holiness. So what Paul is getting at here is that in Christ we are created new, we have this new self, this new Person, the old is gone, the new has come. We have this new life in Christ, this resurrected life that the old person has essentially, spiritually died. And we are new in Christ. That gives us great hope. And it is in created after the likeness of God. So we're created to be like God and follow his example and his ways. And what he says is true is true. What he says is good and holy is good and holy. And then he says this in verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, meaning having this new life in Christ that was based on falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So he's calling us here to now speak the truth with one another. So Jesus is the truth. He is our source of truth. And now we within the community are called to speak the truth with one another because that is a part of this new life that we have in Christ. He's saying now live according to the truth. Okay, so now we're just going to read a long example of kind of what this looks like within the early church. And we're going to read, there's a number of them, like basically the whole New Testament, all the epistles are kind of getting at how do we live in the truth of Christ as a church community. It's basically the whole New Testament. So I had lots of options. And like Jim said, I would like to preach for an hour, but it would take me longer than an hour to preach through all of these texts. We'd be there for three weeks, perhaps. Because when I get rolling, look out. You give a preacher man a mic, he's going to talk. He's going to preach. Okay, so we're going to read the Galatians 2, a good chunk of Galatians 2. In the devotional, we're going to go through a section of 2 Timothy as well, uh, where Paul is addressing to his young apprentice, Timothy, how to deal with some conflicts around what is true uh, within the church at Ephesus. It's actually where Timothy was pastoring. But here Paul's writing to the church of Galatia. And here they're dealing with, uh, uh, again, heresy as well on a lot of different fronts. They're addressing situations regarding the truth. But here there's one specific situation and a general concept that we're going to see from this in the life of the early church. Paul says, then after 14 years, he's kind of just telling his story of how he, has, uh, how he came to know the gospel and what he did after that. He says, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential. We're going to see this. That is Peter, James, and John, the three leaders of the church. The gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. So what Paul's doing is he's going to Jerusalem to confirm with Peter, James, and John the gospel that he's preaching to be sure that they're on the same page. It's kind of what he's doing. Because he you can't just send him a text. You can't just email him, blast off an email, whatever. He had to go to Jerusalem and he had to discuss with them the gospel that he preaches among the Gentiles to make sure that he's not running in vain, to make sure that they're the, on the same page. Paul's likely pretty convinced at this point that the gospel is true as he is preaching it. But he still made the trip to Jerusalem, which is costly, time-consuming, to meet up with the apostles and to talk with them, to discuss and to form one another's faith. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Okay, this was the the big issue that they were addressing was around circumcision. In the early church, it was very different than we think of it today. Uh, Then it was a sign that you were part of the people of God. So what the Jews, there was a group called the Circumcision Party that was influencing the Church of Galatia, which we're going to see. They were teaching that when somebody accepted Jesus and a Gentile came to faith in Christ, they had to be circumcised, they had to follow the Old Testament law of dietary laws, most notably Sabbath laws and all of the festivals that, they would, uh, that the Jewish people would follow. They would say, you have to follow those if you want to be a part of the people of God. And Paul took a different approach. He said, uh, no, we have freedom now in Christ, that we are free from the law. So we don't follow the law of Moses the same way that we did before Christ. So, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy on, to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. Slavery, he's referring to is slavery to the law of Moses again. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Okay, so Paul is adamant about this. He did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Because this is a core essential gospel question of are we saved by our works or are we saved by faith in Jesus Christ? Does circumcision, does uh, following the dietary laws, does following the Sabbath ritual routine, does that save us? Does that contribute to our salvation in any way? Paul says, no. Okay? And once that truth is established, that has serious implications then for how we live our life and what we teach and what we do. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. So this is Peter, James, and John again that he's talking about, and he says what they were, remember what they were before Jesus? They were fishermen, <laughs> unschooled, unknowledgeable, they they had just the basics of the Jewish faith. And, and who was Paul before knowing Jesus? He was a Pharisee. He had all of the schooling, all of the teaching about the Old Testament law. He knew it front and back. And so it's kind of, uh, you, see the, you see the dynamics at work here, the social dynamics? Paul, who's a Pharisee, who really knows what he's talking about, is going to talk to these three fishermen to confirm the gospel that he believes is true. It's like, Ooh, this is tense. This is a tense situation. Okay. But Paul recognized the grace of God in them. He says, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Because Jesus chose them to be among his disciples and to be the three that he called out even among the disciples. Who seemed influential added nothing to me. So that's not like a disparaging comment. That's just they didn't add anything to his gospel. They said, What you're preaching sounds good. (laughs) You got it. We agree with you. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, that is, to the Gentiles, not to the Jewish people, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, that's mostly focused on the Jews. This is amazing. Like This situation, the more I think about it, the more I realize how this had the potential to destroy the early church. You've got these three fishermen who hold power within the church and have a lot of influence. Paul says here they claim they were very influential. They had a lot of power, a lot of influence within the church. This guy, Paul, they could have been threatened by him. Say, this guy, he thinks he knows everything. He's this Pharisee who has this miraculous experience with Jesus. And so they could have diminished him publicly. Or just made his life incredibly difficult by being super nitpicky about everything and making him jump through all of these hoops to be a part of the leadership in the early church. Okay. Paul, he could have been very prideful and arrogant about his knowledge and his understanding and coming to them and say, who are you, fisherman? Like, why should I even come and talk to you about this? Like, I know what I'm talking about. You have no idea. And that's usually the way that these conversations have gone throughout church history. And they're often the way that they go today. People who are selfish and unaware don't recognize the grace of God in others. And this is where the grace of God has to be central and so important when we consider matters of truth and truth finding and how to live as people committed to the truth of the gospel. But... When Cephas came to Antioch, so this is another time. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Okay, because now, so now they agreed with one another. Now there's another time they didn't agree so much with one another. Four, uh, band, you guys can come and get set up. For being certain, uh, for before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. Okay, so that's a no-no. Uh, if you're a Jewish person, you're following the Jewish law. You eat kosher. You can't even eat with Gentiles because then you're unclean. Okay? So, before certain men came from James, he was eating with them. So he was living in his freedom in Christ that the gospel has given him. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. So now he's like, ah, uh, I just don't want the tension. I don't want to deal with it. So I'm just not going to hang out with the Gentiles and eat with them anymore. And Paul's like, nah, dude, that's wrong. Don't do that. Because you're not living in the truth of the gospel. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Okay, so Paul's whole argument here is, guys, you've been set free in Christ, live like it. We're not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ, so we are free to live like it. Don't give in to the circumcision party, this group of self-righteous, legalistic folks who are just trying to make us follow the law again. We know that that's not true. We know that we don't need to live like that. So Peter, he opposed him to his face and said, don't, because you know the truth of the gospel is that your righteousness is in Christ, not in following the law. In verse 16, he says it that we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ. He says it in verse 21. It's the main theme of this whole section. If righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So what Paul is saying is, hey, live according to the truth that Jesus has redeemed us, Jesus has saved us, and so we are no longer under the law of Moses. But what I'm really focusing on here today is how he confronted Peter to his face, publicly even, Again, these are situations that usually go boom. And when somebody feels offended or hurt in this scenario, they blow up. And then you got a feud on your hands, and the church is divided and splits over stuff like this. But because they recognize the grace of God, they're committed to truth. Peter, who's, when I read the Gospels, Peter seems like a little bit of a uh, hothead isn't the right term. Um, He's... He dives in first, okay? He speaks up first, we'll say that. He's a little impulsive. So even if he didn't respond well at first, I think it's safe to say that he responded well eventually and conformed to the truth that Paul brought up here because the church was not divided. When I come back up, I'll apply this in a few moments, but for now, let's pray. Lord, God, we thank you for your word that teaches us all truth, that Jesus, you are the truth. And so, Lord, we commit to finding truth in you and in your word. Pray, Lord, for humility, for a recognition of grace, as we see on display here amongst us, that, Lord, we can pursue truth and we can seek it together and live according to the truth and submit ourselves to the truth that we find in your word. Lord, we thank you that you are faithful and that you are good, and, Lord, that we can trust in you. Lord, I pray in those seasons of doubt or the seasons of when our faith just seems to be floundering that we would trust that. We would hold on to you, Lord. Cling to your goodness. Cling to your truth. And trust in you. Thank you, Lord, for your presence with us. In your name Jesus we pray amen you guys can have a seat for a few moments so we're talking about being a community of life change towards the truth this is this is important when we talk about life change and being a life-changing community change isn't good enough just for the sake of change we have to be moving towards truth um Believing more truth, behaving more in line with the truth, that's the type of life change that we want in our community of faith. To do that, first and foremost, we must recognize that Jesus and Scripture are sources of truth. Scripture in that it tells us about Jesus. Without Scripture, we would know very, very little about Jesus, who he is, and what he taught purpose of the Messiah, all of that from the Old Testament, God's holiness and how Jesus fulfilled the law and fulfilled all of it and how he has redeemed us from sin and death. So without scripture, we would know very little, if anything, about any of that. Scripture is our source of truth. Jesus is our source of truth. It's become terrifyingly clear over the last few years, as John mentioned a couple weeks ago, with the information age, it has not come to a greater acceptance of truth, but more confusion. And the question is no longer around what is truth, necessarily, it's even a step before that is what are our sources of truth, and how do we we choose which sources to believe in what is trustworthy and what is not? In the church, of course, we can disagree on, most evidently, It's been on things like health issues, political issues. It's not that we disagree necessarily on what is true. We disagree even on what the source of truth is. For Christians, our source of truth is always Jesus, ultimately. We can't allow that confusion about what authority is right and wrong within the culture and other spheres of our lives to creep in and to influence the way that we view truth and Jesus being the source of our truth in spiritual matters and in our faith. There are other philosophies and other religions out there that can say some true things, but ultimately it is true because Scripture says it is true, and it comes back to the words of Jesus. In him, ultimately, we find truth and in Scripture. Just as a quick note, because I'm reading a biography on Martin Luther right now, Uh, if you come from a Catholic background, (laughs) this is one of the areas of primary disagreement between us and the Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church holds scripture and tradition to have the same level of authority. They would argue that the councils and popes throughout history and their interpretations of scripture Are on the same authority as Scripture and of the same level of truth. And that is the primary area where we, one of the primary areas where we disagree with the Catholic Church. Luther at the Diet of Worms, which, what comes to mind when you hear Diet of Worms, right? I think it's pronounced Worms or something like that in German. I don't speak German, so I have no idea. But anyways, it was just a gathering that the Holy Roman Emperor called to bring Luther in, and Luther thought that he was coming to actually debate his, uh, his discoveries in Scripture, primarily through the book of Romans, that you're saved by grace alone through faith alone, um, and that uh, the, the Pope and other councils had erred, and they, didn't, they weren't bringing him there to actually have a debate with him. They brought him there to just say, hey, are these your books? And he'd say yes, and then say, do you recant anything? He said no, and they say, okay, you're a heretic, is kind of how it went. Um, But Luther kind of went against the decorum and the expectations, and he said, unless I am convinced by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of the popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. What a statement. That's a statement that I think we all need to take to heart. My conscience is captive to the word of God. So if what we are doing, the way we are living, the things that we are believing are contrary to the word of God, your conscience should be screaming at you. He said, I cannot and I will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me. Amen. (laughs) And he said, God help me because he knew that this meant... Basically, excommunication and a death sentence. Jesus and Scripture are our sources of truth. We must always go back to those. Then second, we have to submit to the truth that we find there. This is the harder part for most of us. Remember, uh, as Paul writes in Ephesians, that we have been given this new life in Christ, created in the likeness of God and in true righteousness and holiness. That means that new life has been given to us, and then so we have God's righteousness, and now we have to live in it and submit to that righteousness and truth. Remember how Peter, after Paul opposed him to his face, he likely recognized the truth of this, even if it was humiliating and embarrassing for him in the moment. He conformed his life to what he found to be true. It does us no good to believe lies. We often believe lies just because it's easier for us, because discovering the truth is hard work, or we like the idea that we can claim ignorance and remain agnostic when there's so much polarization and tension out there, that way we don't have to say one way or another and therefore ignite a potential controversy. Those are no excuses for not seeking out the truth and then submitting to the truth when we have found it. Especially in areas of ethics and beliefs that are not popular in the culture, when we discover what scripture says is true, we submit to what we find there and follow the truth of that. Another example uh, comes from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a pastor in Germany. Why is everything around Germany? What's going on here? I've got... A... <laughs> Got a lot of German culture on my mind lately, I guess. Um, Anyways, (laughs) he was a pastor in Germany who resisted Hitler and the Nazis. And he wrote, um, or he said in a speech, he said, Has it not become terrifyingly clear again and again in everything that we have said here to one another that we are no longer obedient to the Bible? We are more fond of our own thoughts than the thoughts of the Bible. We no longer read the Bible seriously, we no longer read it against ourselves but for ourselves. That's a line, again, to remember. We no longer read the Bible against ourselves, but for ourselves. Scripture should be correcting our thinking constantly. Scripture should be correcting our behavior constantly. That as we read it every morning or every day, as we pick up Scripture and as we read it and we come against ideas that contradict our own thinking, we submit our ideas to the truth that we find in Scripture. When we read in Scripture... A behavior that doesn't align with our behavior and our thinking, we submit our behavior to the truth of Scripture, and we strive to live in accordance with the truth that we find there. We read Scripture against ourselves, not for ourselves. Scripture, when we weaponize it, can be a very dangerous thing. And so often, as is apparently not a new phenomenon... When we read, we pick an idea and we say, I I want to behave this way or I want to live this way. I think this is true. And then we come to scripture or any resource to find evidence to support our preconceived notion. We decide what is true and then we look for evidence to support it. For Christians, that cannot be our approach to scripture. We must look at scripture, open it, read it against ourselves, allow it to correct our ideas and our behavior, to find truth in it and conform our lives to that truth. Thirdly, we recognize the grace of God in one another. This is how this is absolutely essential to maintain community in the midst of what I just said because we will have differences of, of interpretation, differences of opinion, different ideas. So, now, how do we as a church approach Scripture and approach truth and also remain unified? In this text that we read in Galatians 2, we see that it is vitally important for us to recognize the grace of God in one another. Just as uh, Peter, James, and John recognized the grace of God upon Paul's life, and Paul recognized the grace of God upon their life, so we must recognize God's grace in the lives of ourselves and one another. This is what enables us to hold truth humbly, when we recognize that what we know and understand about God is solely a gift of God's grace in the first place. That he has saved us, that he has redeemed us, that he has revealed his truth to us in scripture and through the power of the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Without that, we wouldn't understand anything that we're reading in scripture. So it all goes back to understanding and recognizing God's grace. So what room is there for pride and ego in your life if it's just the gift of God's grace? And also we recognize the gift of God's grace in the lives of others that they have also understood the truth of God by God's grace, and also that they have been given other gifts than you and that you need their gifts because not one person in all of the church has all of the gifts of the Spirit of God. And so we need one another and we need to recognize how God has anointed, how God has gifted our brothers and sisters in Christ to help lead us to the truth, to help us live in conformity to the truth. And we fail to see that so many times, these disagreements just become bombshells in the church. So we must recognize the gift of God's grace in the lives of each other. Next, we have to learn how to speak the truth to one another in love. (laughs) This is so difficult. It's way easier said than done. And we're going to fail, and then we're going to need to recognize the grace of God (laughs) in one another yet again. Ephesians 4, 15, Paul says that in speaking, speak the truth in love to one another, he says, in doing this, we grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So what he's saying there is by speaking the truth to one another, we are formed into the image of Christ. We have seen this come up in scripture time and time again in various places, that this is how the church is to operate and to function in a life-changing community. We speak the truth in love to one another and in doing so, It helps form us into the image of Christ. That is what Paul did with Peter, so that Peter would live according to the truth of the gospel, and so that those who are looking up to Peter would live according to the truth of the gospel as well. So we have to learn to speak the truth to one another, not only in correcting one another's behavior, Okay, We can do that in a loving relationship, correcting one another's thinking. We should be able to do that together, speaking the truth in love. But also, I think what this means is that we need to speak the truth about ourselves to one another. As the Ephesians 4 text that we read says, we speak the truth to one another. I think what Paul has in mind there as well is us speaking the truth about ourselves. Our own shortcomings, our own failures, our own sin... So things like confession, confessing our sins to God and to one another. When you confess your sins, especially the sins that you struggle with in private, it reduces the power of those sins, especially when we confess them to God and pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to dwell within us and to help us and give us strength. Confession, repentance is a very important practice in the Christian life. Wednesday is what's known as Ash Wednesday in the Christian calendar. So I know, I said of what we disagree with the Catholic Church on before, and now I'm talking about Ash Wednesday, you're like, I'm confused, John, I don't know. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> uh, Ash, Ash Wednesday is the beginning of a season in the church calendar known as Lent, where we focus on fasting, repentance, confession, recognizing our humanity, our fallenness, and our nature. Leading up into Easter, to be clear, we don't have an Ash Wednesday service, so don't show up here on Wednesday. (sighs) Might find some ashes to put on your head, but I don't know where they are right now. Bevan might have uh, Got some laying around? Okay, Uh, (laughs) over at the loop. (laughs) So we're not going to have an Ash Wednesday service, but I would encourage you to fast in this time because this is a part, an important practice, again, for us to learn to speak the truth about ourselves, to see the truth about ourselves, because so often we're deluded, and we choose to believe a false image of ourselves instead of the truth of who we really are and recognize our sinfulness, our fallenness, and so we must confess our sins. And when we do so, we are speaking the truth of ourselves to God and to one another. So I'd encourage you to fast. Fast in this time of Lent. You can choose some foods to fast from, pick a meal to fast from, certain days of the week you're gonna fast. Uh, It's up to you. I'm not not giving you a clean playbook here. I'm asking you to think about it. Think about it, find find an opportunity to fast. If I were you, I'd steer away from like the diet-motivated fasting. Like that's cool, but if it's just like, I kinda shouldn't be eating sugar anyways. that's eh, fine. There's just some extra incentives there. <laughs> I'd encourage you to just pray. Like the point of fasting is praying, recognizing that you need God like you need food. Like spend time just reflecting on that, praying on that, confessing, repenting while you're fasting. You can fast from something that dominates your life and your time, things like media, social media, TV, Netflix, whatever. But in that time that you would normally spend watching or entertaining yourself or doing something else, be sure to pray. It's not enough to just like (laughs) avoid those things as like a form of, uh, you know, making yourself feel bad for doing them. That's not the point. The point is prayer, to spend more time with God, to spend, to take away the things that dominate our time and energy and effort and the things that we feel as if we need to recognize what we truly need, and that is God. Remember to pray, remember to confess your sins. i will invite you to just take a moment right now um, to just pray, to tell the truth about yourself to God, to tell the truth about the sins that you have struggled with to God. The band's gonna play in just a moment and uh, just take a few moments and pray before we begin singing and confess your sins to God. Just tell the truth of who you truly are. This is a practice that we should get good at so that when it comes time for us to confess our sins to one another, to recognize that we need to tell the truth and when we're tempted to hide the truth to make ourselves look better to others. As Christians, if we have developed this practice, this will become easier for us to tell the truth about who we are, what we have done, and to tell the truth to one another, speak the truth in love to each other. So allow me to pray for you and then take a moment and just sit with this. Lord. Jesus, we thank you that you are the truth. And Lord, that you have forgiven us from all of our sins when our faith and trust is in you and all of our hope is in you, Lord. that is not by our own self-righteousness that we are made holy, but it is Jesus by your work on the cross. And so, Lord, out of your love for us, because of your love for us, we desire to be holy. We confess that we're not. That we still struggle with sin, that we still err, we make mistakes, we do evil, Lord, in that same vein, we have untrue beliefs about you, about others, about the world. So, Lord, we want to be conformed more to the truth in our thinking and in our behavior. So Lord, I pray that as we engage with scripture and engage with one another, that you would reveal truth to us and you would humble our hearts to pursue it together. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray.
2: that's our prayer. Lord, that we would not, God, be guided by anything else. The line that John said that sticks in my mind is, it does us no good to believe lies. And God, I don't want to believe lies. I don't want this place to be a place we believe lies together, God. We want to be grounded in true things, in constant true things that we can rely on and put faith and trust and hope in, God, and that is you. It's only you. We trust in you. God, as as we've all been praying, I want to one more time lift up uh, people in Ukraine right now, the conflict that's happening. Um, God, we pray for peace. We pray against bloodshed, Lord. We pray that your will would be done, that you would be honored and glorified, God. God, we want to see peace. We want to see your kingdom come. Lord, whatever part our little church here has to play in that, we want to see your kingdom come here. But God help us to be grounded in the things that you say are good, the things that you say are right, the things that you say are true. We love you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for worshiping with us. You can still get prayer if you need a prayer in the back. You guys have a wonderful uh, Sunday and a wonderful week.